and welcome back to Tiny Voice Talks. And today, Tiny Voice Talks about special rights. And I'm joined by the fabulous Anne-Louise Jordan. So welcome, Anne-Louise. Hello. What lovely introduction. Yes, I'm feeling fabulous today. How are you, Toria? Oh, always fabulous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's so lovely to actually be chatting to you because... I have connected with you through Twitter. We've done various things together. We've, you know, and I've got to know you through that, but I'm really interested to know more about Anne-Louise Jordan. So for those that haven't come across you yet on Twitter, who is Anne-Louise Jordan? Well, I am, uh, I'm on Twitter as at Lizzie84 and I sort of, I'm usually just there lurking in the background ready to to jump on your tweets and everybody else's <laughs> I'm like the the lurker ally I think I've been known to to be um That's quite you know, nice I, the lurker ally like I'm that. a lurker ally I don't know <laughs> I do seem to 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 be in, in the in the background sort of cheering everybody on which I, I like to do because everybody everybody's fantastic and and you know I only learn from you being the best and and making sure everybody has their say and and shine the light on everyone and uh, so that's how you'll find me there usually just uh, lurking on tiny boys Tuesday nights or or anywhere else but um I am I am a mother I am a deputy head I am also music specialist I am Senko I'm pre-nursery teacher um but who am I? Well, I am a very loyal friend and I will always have your back. If you're my friend, then I'll give you all of me and be with you and, and anything that you need. I'm, I'm there to listen. So I think more importantly, I'm, I'm a good friend. That's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that comes through in Twitter. I really do. Aww. And the connections that you've made, I think it's very, very clear how loyal and how much you care that really does come through. So you said you were a deputy head. Yeah. Did you always want to go into teaching? Um, no, no, I don't think many of us do, really. It always seems <laughs> to find us, doesn't it? You know, you've, it you've, does. I see this everywhere and it's like, well, actually, no, obviously, you know, like, um, no, it found me as it does, and a lot. I know a lot of people that they, you know, they've always wanted to be a teacher, but not me. Um, I hated school, so um, when I was diagnosed with dyslexia much later on in life, that's when the the sort of light bulb moment happened. Of do you know what? Like school was freaking hard, and it shouldn't be that hard for anyone. And that's when. I decided that I would be the teacher that I needed at school and um, still working on being that teacher. I don't I feel like I'm learning and being better every day. And if, as, as the years go past, I learn something new and I, 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 I be better year on year. So I'm still on that journey to be the teacher that I needed. But uh, that's why I went into it in the first place. Right. That's really interesting. And actually, it's it's so sad that you said that school school was so yeah. hard. Yeah. And so I, I want, I'm going to put some threads together here because you said you were diagnosed with dyslexia later on in life. 
yeah. but actually went through school without that diagnosis. So yeah. what was school like then, being undiagnosed dyslexic? Um, I mean, if you read any of my reports, which my mum has kept, uh, they all have the same running thread. Mm-hmm. Easily distracted, could do better, um, needs to work harder, um, class clown. Uh, that's that's what was said to about me year on year. Nothing was ever said about how I learned, or what I learned, or or what I was good at. You know, um, it wasn't till the secondary school that it was my Spanish teacher um, that realised that I was actually pretty good at, at learning Spanish uh, for for standard grades, so very low level standard grades or your GCSEs. And um, his is probably one of the most positive reports I got. I never got that till I was 14 years old. So um, that easily distracted comes through a lot. And um, we as teachers and I and I put myself down as that in that in that group as well, that how many times have you said to a parent and a parent meeting, you know, they're just so easily distracted. Mm. Yeah. That's the children you should be focusing on the most. <laughs> uh, I was left out and, you know, I was given that easily distracted label and not given much else, which is really quite sad. It really is. It's incredibly sad. So did you then at the end of your A-levels, which I know are your highest, did you just go, OK, actually, now this is it. I'm going to become a teacher. How did that, so, you know, with the decision? The decision then, so I'm at university, I left school at 16, so I didn't do any of my hires or my A-levels at school. Mm-hmm. I had to do okay. them later on at a college. Um, and then I'm doing the, I'm at university studying psychology. And if anyone studied psychology before, you kind of have all of all of the of the, the problems that you learn about. You know, I've I've been I've been all sorts of things. Um, <laughs> when you're sitting no, in the lecture hall, going, "God, that's me! That's me! Right? That's me!" Well, you know, any psychology student will will agree with me on that. That you that, you know you have you have them all. You have the, all the complexes. But it was when we were learning about the special education needs and uh, learning about dyspraxia and dyslexia that I'm actually sitting going, oh, oh, that is me. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding here. That actually is me. So I spoke to the tutor and I said, you know, probably hear this a lot, but um, I think I might be one of those. So I went for the test and it came out that, yeah, I do have dyslexia. So with a a deficit in short-term memory. So don't ask me to remember what you've asked me 20 minutes ago because I don't remember. Um, mm. So it was a, a real short-term memory deficit, which is quite common in, in people with dyslexia. So, um, yes, that was when I was 20, 21 years old. So quite late wow. on, but not. Yeah. I never say it's too late. It's never too late. And um, even when I'm talking to parents and their child, child is 10, you know, they go, oh, but they've just lost all these years. They go, trust me, it's never too late. It's never too late. Um, so then after that, I that's when I decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go into teaching and, and make sure that no child is, is left behind. And here I am 11 years later. And that's amazing. And what I also find 
fascinating is that you have gone international and you've ended up in Spain and you are teaching in Madrid. So how did that come about? Because that's quite a leap. I mean, I know that you were, you know, you loved Spanish at school, but, you know, suddenly moving to Spain. How did that occur? That was, um, (laughs) was one of those crazy decisions, but the, the idea of moving international came from when I'm sitting in a massive auditorium for a council job and teaching after my NQT year, which we call probationary year in Scotland, and sitting in a hall and there's all 250 people and it's like speed dating. You know, you've got, you have to wait your turn and you go into this little booth and there's the head teacher and the council members and the whole the whole process is 10 minutes and you're out again. So 250 of us went for one job and that one person through the grapevine, we all heard that it was the head teacher's son who got the job. And that was my decision made. I was out of there. I was I, I wasn't up for for that bureaucracy. So I thought, nah, screw this, I'm not staying in this country any longer. And um started applying to Mont Blanc and Rome and Milan, Barcelona, Madrid. And Madrid gave me the call, so so here I am. But I could have I could have ended up anywhere really. I, I wouldn't have cared at that point, really. Just the world was my oyster. So were you fluent in Spanish when you no. went off to Madrid? No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I could say uh dos cervezas, por favor. Um, I, I didn't even have a nice accent. You can't. So I think when I said it, it was dos cervezas, por favor. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, when I worked on my accent, you know, like dos cervezas, por favor. <laughs> I know. Love it. So I can definitely say that with a nice Spanish accent. <laughs> Fantastic. So there's definitely been improvements. Yeah, definitely. So- so when you so I'm fascinated about this. So he went to Madrid, uh-huh. not speaking Spanish. Did you know people? No, no one, no one. I'd gone so where did you go? No. Where did you stay? What did you do? <laughs> um, well, the school put us up in a hotel for three nights, and there yeah. was three, four, four other of us that were staying in a hotel at the same time. So we were all going to work at that school. And they were from, uh, there was a Canadian girl and a couple of English uh, people as well. So we kind of, uh, you know, hooked up and took care of each other. If you can, if you, if you can imagine what story I'm going to tell you next, that, uh, that we didn't take care of each other at all. Um, we, <laughs> so funny story about where we stayed. Um, mm-hmm. After the hotel, we stayed for an extra night. Just we none of us could find anywhere. It's the it's the end of August. There are no apartments. Everywhere everywhere is sort of taken up. We were a bit late on on arriving. If you want to get a a place to stay in Madrid, you need to you need to find it in June or July when all of the expats are leaving. So you take over their space, but. There wasn't really much going on. Anyway, we found this lovely apartment, centre of town, five minute walk from the from the mid from Sol, uh, the centre of the city. Great, brilliant. There was space for all of us, and um, we found it on the the online platform that everybody finds. So we hadn't actually spoken to a person. We got shown around. Right, here's your place. Lots of Spanish. Blah blah blah. Uh, gave us a, a an, an amount for the next week. 
And we're like, yeah, fine, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Totally fine. So we're there for a week. Start mm-hmm. school. Everything's lovely. Um, a bit noisy in the evening time. You know, we had uh, lots of partying going on. Uh, not necessarily from us because we were working teachers. We were professionals. So it was through the week. But we just kind of were like, well, we can't stay here for very much longer. It's, you know, obviously the, the centre of town and there's a lot of noise uh, happening in the, in the night time. And so the the guy comes the following week and there was one other girl who spoke some Spanish and we're all relying on her to let us know what's going on. But um, anyway, he turns up, brings out his calculator and starts punching in lots of numbers. Mm. And I, I remember I remember him saying the word aura quite a lot and I'm going, oh, mm-hmm. God, that either means time or it means hour. So I wonder mm-hmm. what, anyway, so then he goes punching all the numbers. Da, 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 da. Then he says the number 24. And I'm going, mm-hmm. right, he said, he's definitely said the number 24. I caught that. I caught, so I've got hour or time and 24. And then it transpires at the end of that. He uh, says, uh, do you have anything for me? So something for me, something for me. <laughs> some, my friend's, we're all looking at her going, she's, she's going, I don't know if I'm really getting this, but he's asking if we have anything for him. And I'm going, what does he want? Like, we'll pay him. So he's going, uh, the money, so he shows us the calculator, shows us the amount, but she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He he has just calculated the hour, the hourly rate of the apartment. I'm going slowly, see if anybody catches on. The hourly rate for the apartment, he's multiplied it by 24, then by (laughs) 7. Penny drops. Oh, my. We are living in a brothel. Actually, that's just honestly, that is the most phenomenal story. (laughs) No wonder it's quite noisy at night. Noisy at night, and some, and some, you know, some not so classy ladies in the morning when they're going to work. Thinking, but when that penny dropped our faces, and you know what, we we were so angry at the girl, poor thing. She, we're like, you should have known better. Come, like, what are we doing? <laughs> we didn't know we were in a brothel. Killed. We could have been killed. Oh my god, what happened to us? Oh my god! But we managed to 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 say to the guy, no, we don't have anything for you. We'll pay the rent. <laughs> bye bye, adios. Off he goes, and we just got the hell out of there. We packed our bags and we were gone. We were out of there. There was no more conversation. Like we had nowhere to go. We ended up sleeping. I ended up sleeping on the sofa of a, of a couple from the school. Someone else ended up in someone else's sofa, and it was um, yeah, it was like each turn. I don't care where you go. I don't care. Where I'm going out. <laughs> Bags are packed. <laughs> Do- yeah, door was closed. Key was under the door. Cheerio. See you later, and never to be seen again. But that was my first week experience of living in Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you've learned to speak Spanish oh now. Oh my god, by god, I learned Spanish very quickly after that, for sure. <laughs> oh my god, I was I had a private teacher, I had the everything. That was it. I was not going to be in that position again. <laughs> Honestly, so, I think yeah. what a story. What a story. <laughs> so be careful if you're so, moving to a strange land, at least know some of yes. the language. <laughs> <laughs> 
so let's let's go back away from the brothel story yeah um, let's let's go to you at school in Madrid so mm. you are now a deputy head teacher yeah and you are passionate about special rights. So yes. talk to me about the special rights. Okay, well, this is um, this is me changing my mindset to away from special needs. So I mm-hmm. work in a school that is adopting very much the Reggio Emilia approach to education. And uh, in Reggio Emilia, they talk a lot about the rights of the child, their right to learn, and our right to to get to know them and to know who they are in order to help them achieve their full potential. So I'm I've always referred myself to a special education needs coordinator. Um, that's what I am. I'm doing that role now, and I was doing that a few years ago. So it's a part of of who I am as a teacher. But I feel like we should all be a bit more special education needs um, as teachers anyway. But I can come back to that. So the rights of a child, it's they don't have special needs. They have special rights. Okay, so it's, it is a big change, a big shift on how we view uh, how they learn. You know, they have a right to learn in the way that they learn. So um, that's, that's where I'm going with that. But as I say, it's a very new change. And um, I think it's, it's something to explore more. I, I really like that idea. So going back to that bit about we all need to be special needs teachers, what do you mean? Well, back to me at school and being the easily distracted one, you know, I got into teaching because I wanted to be the teacher that I needed. And that's what I strive to be day on. And that's that's who I am. And. I th- I need every other teacher to be like that too. I don't want any other Anne Louise Jordan to come through the system and get diagnosed too late. It's still happening because mm. I know what happens when I'm talking to parents and their children are now 18, 19 and they're telling me that they're they're getting diagnosed now that you know that for me is not is not good enough, you know? Um I'm not advocating diagnosing children left right and center what I am advocating is that that we get to know the child that that child is not easily distracted that child needs and has a right to to learn and has a right to get something from you that's what your job is as a teacher so you have to know what that child needs what that child has a right to and and change your strategy for that child and if that child is easily distracted if they can't sit in their chair if they are violent if they are um you know staring out the window if they're they're not doing what you're asking them to do they're not following the rules they're not doing this and you know who they are then you've got to look at yourself and go that child has a right to be here so I'm going to make sure that that child achieves its full potential what do I need to do? That's our job. That's why we're here. You know, it's not it's not the child's job. And I don't know if you've ever heard teachers always say, oh, they just don't know how to play. Um, yeah. Well, have you taught them how to play? That's my question. Mm. Have you taught them how to play? Probably they don't know how to play. Are they going to learn it by you drumming it into them? Or are they going to learn it by you sitting alongside them and modelling that play? 
that comes also up to the the upper school where it's less play based, more knowledge based. Oh, they just don't know how to use capital letters. Have you taught them how to use capital letters? Have you found out how they learn capital letters? Because it might not just be by you telling them time and time again, highlighting where it should go. You have to strip it back. What part, where do you need to start with them? Do they know what the, the, the value is of a capital letter? You've taught them the value of a tens number. Do they know the value of a capital letter? Have you stripped it back further enough that you can actually start from, from scratch? And if the answer is no, well, you need to go back and you need to, if they are year four and they're working at year one level, then you strip it back for them and you see where it, where it is. Because I've been a, a year six teacher and I've had a child that's, you know, just not been able to get, you know, the, the, the hundreds of tens in the units. Yeah. Why am I why am I teaching them a year six curriculum if they don't know what a tens, a hundreds, a ones mm-hmm. and a tens are? Why am I asking them to produce the column method for a five digit number? You know, I think you're, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Sorry, I'm jumping in. Yeah, go. I think I think that's absolutely vital. You know, I, I've. I've taught children that have, you know, you've got that concrete, abstract, pictorial mm-hmm. with maths. And in early years, we start off with concrete. It's all concrete. We're using things all the time, yep. manipulatives to help build that understanding. But I have, I've taught children in upper school. So year, sort of year six, et cetera, year four, five, six, who have also needed those manipulatives. They've yep. also needed that concrete apparatus. Because they haven't understood the concept. They're not ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to go to they may they may understand pictorial if it's alongside concrete but they mm-hmm. definitely don't get abstract you know the idea of what 1396 actually means on a page yeah. isn't necessarily there and I think you're absolutely right mm-hmm. just because we're putting numbers on a page children aren't necessarily going to get it by osmosis just because we're telling them to use yep. capital letter. Yep. They aren't necessarily going to get why unless, we, I, I love your phrase, strip it back. Yeah. So tell me, when a child, or wh- when you start a new year mm-hmm. with a class, what do you yep. do? The f- first thing is uh, I don't get them to write their name on their brand new books. <laughs> that's... Um, that's the olden days where you would give out their, their new books and get them to write their name on it. Um, I would get to know them first. That, that first week is building relationships and observing and watching and playing and, and getting close enough to them that you can see what they're doing and really see what they're doing. And um, I'm learning this more and more as I'm, as I'm working in an infant school. And I... I, I where observation is, is is key to everything that we do. And I know that when I move into a primary school that has year four, five and six, I, I have, will be able to take that, that early years experience of observing them, of getting to know them, sitting beside them, and then recognising the really small, non-verbal um, cues that they give you. Children give you non-verbal cues all the time and in my 11 years experience I I am I've been able to pinpoint those children that that tell you they are not comfortable with you sitting beside them when they read they are not comfortable with showing you what they have written and that's the children that you build a relationship with the most because those are the ones that need it 
those are the ones that are telling you non-verbally, I'm not comfortable with reading to you. And then you need to find out why that's their job as educators. You need to find out why are they not comfortable? Why are they flinching from you? You know, and if you want to be really, you know, serious about it, those violent children, do you know why they're violent? Have you got to know the why? Because we talk about our why as leaders and our why as educators and as adults, but have you taken the time to find out the child, the child's why? And yeah. that that's the most powerful thing as a teacher. If you know their why, then you know them. Gosh, do you know what? As you've been chatting, I've written the word why. And it's just, yeah, honestly, I I wrote the word why at the, towards the beginning of the podcast because yeah. I, I do tend to, I have a notepad in front of me whenever I'm talking to people on the podcasts. Yeah. And I sort of, I will write certain words that just you know, are, are going through the podcast and the word why is there and yeah. it's come up again and again yeah. and again. So, and I think it's absolutely powerful. Mm-hmm. So what is your why now? What is my why now as, yeah. as, a, as a leader? My why is, you know, I have to, I'm bringing everything back down to those children and I'm doing it in the smallest of baby steps. I'm getting... I'm getting my why right because if I don't, then I'm not doing it for them. Okay, yeah. so if if I'm in the wrong place in my life and I'm doing the wrong thing for me, then I'm doing it wrong for them as well. So if I want to be the the teacher that I needed, well, I'm now needing to be the teacher that they need and they being every single child that I'm responsible for and will be responsible for. So that's my drive. That's that's what drives me to to be where I am. Yeah, it's it's an amazing why. And actually mm. I was listening to you talk a few it's about a week ago now about well being. Yeah. And I it really resonated because you were talking about the importance of teachers maintaining their own well being. Yeah. Because actually, if they don't, then they're not able to carry that why, their their reason for teaching yeah. into the classroom for the children's benefit. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, if So what I was saying last week was about us taking care of ourselves and leaders need to take care of their staff. And um, and we do, don't we? We we do take care of our staff and, well, the majority of us do. And, and we need that to be, we need that to come back as well. You know, if, if I'm taking care of you, then you need to take care of you. You know, it mm-hmm. can't be, um, if it's just one person taking care of someone else, you know, leaders taking care of their staff, staff taking care of children, then that's not going to work. It's too hierarchical, isn't it? It's it's giving it's empowering people to take care of themselves and I think as a teacher you have to teach children how to take care of themselves that's about that's about empowering them as well empowering them to know what their right to to learn is um as leaders you're empowering staff to know what their right to learn is and I'm taking care of myself I'm doing what I need to do to to be the best that I can be and in turn I'll look after you as a leader and I will also look after you as a child, you know, um, as a, as a teacher for you, you know? So uh, I think, I think a lot, 
we need to keep remembering that it's not about I'll take care of you and you take care of me, which was the old way of well-being, wasn't it? It was yeah. a few years ago. It was, you know, if you take care of them, they'll take care of you. But I just don't see it like that. And it was never being able to see it like that where it's like, um, no, I take care of you for you to take care of you. Absolutely. It's so important. We need to empower our children mm-hmm. and, and empower well, I think teachers need to feel empowered so that everyone is looking after themselves because actually if we're doing that, goodness, what mm-hmm. a great world we're building. Really. Yeah. And I, I love the fact you keep coming back to the children's rights, yeah. those special rights that they yeah. keep having, at, you know, it is, and for them to recognise their why. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and Louise, oh. it's, it's been, it's been <laughs> I could talk That's to you for yeah, ages about this. It's definitely. amazing. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the question that everyone goes, oh my goodness, too. So if you could have been taught by anyone, living or dead, who would have been your perfect teacher? Oh, you know, you dropped this bomb on me this morning and, I, and I've listened to your podcast, Tori, and I know right? that you ask everybody this and I wasn't ready for it. So I'm now racking my brain. Um, I'm going to be really cheesy, okay? Because you know, I thought what it used to be I like fun. a bit of cheese. It's fine. Well, it is. It is a bit of cheese. It is a bit of cheese. And um, I mean, she's she's my favourite person right now, and it's my head teacher. Okay. It's, oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. Yes. It's really nice. It's, it's, really, it's really cheesy, and the, the yeah, cheese, it is a bit. Bread. It is a bit. Yeah. But we'll go there. <laughs> Tell me about your head teacher. Well, do you know what? I I would have loved for her to be my teacher. I feel that she is my teacher because I'm her deputy. And, Mm. uh, you know, she just never stops. And a lot of who I am now um, over the last year and a half that I've worked with her is is because of her. I also received coaching from her mum. So I feel like, you know, she she's come from good stock, you know. Um, I would have loved her as a teacher because she never stops learning about special rights and she never um she never gives up on children and she has this amazing gift of coaching, but not as a leader, as a teacher and what she's able to do and I and I've seen her observations when she's gone into classrooms with children what she can get out of those children and the most of her most difficult children and the work Mm. that they can produce with her just because she's given them that that the correct provocation that that allows them to learn in the way that they have the right to it's it's incredible so I would have loved my head teacher Rachel Davies to be my teacher Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure when she listens back to this, that'll bring a tear to her eye. And I think, I think that is the most amazing thing to work with someone yeah. that you would have loved mm-hmm. to have been your teacher. Yeah, and Louise, you have been a joy oh, to talk thank to. You. you really have. Thank you so much it. for coming thank on Tiny Voice Talks. Yay. <laughs> 